here. And I know there's always burdens, there's always uh, weights, and there's always temptations that we struggle with. And I pray that the teaching of your word now would encourage us to come before you with great confidence, with great humility, and confess our sins, knowing that you are just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, good day today. Good day. Take your notes and I hope you have your Bible with you and open your Bible or turn on your Bible or whatever's the most effective. Don't get swept swept away with technology to where uh, you're using it because it's available, but it doesn't really fit your needs. So whatever gets you into the Word of God as it's being taught, that's what you want to do. So turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We're continuing to look at receiving forgiveness because you have there in your notes the fundamentals of, of, of forgiveness begin with receiving. You can't be what you haven't received from God. You can't give to others what you haven't first received from God. You can't ask from others if you haven't been willing to ask for it from God. And so we've been talking this past couple weeks about receiving forgiveness. And we said that, you know, ironically, when you talk to Christians about confessing their sins, there's a lot of confusion out there. And some of that is because our backgrounds of some of us have been from works religions where there was priests and penance and, and, and going to a confessional booth. Others of us have uh, misunderstood the meaning of justification to the point that we think that we no longer need to confess our sins. So here's what we're wanting to do. Clear up the confusion about confession. And we said that that centers on four facts. And the first fact we looked at was right there in 1 John chapter 5, and it's this, sin always separates us from a totally holy God. That doesn't change, because God doesn't change. Look at verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. All, not a zero, zip, no darkness. And that means if there's any sin in us, something's going to have to change for us to enter into his presence and stay in his presence. So that's fact number one. John wants us to really get that down. Fact number two we saw was God forgave us and all our sin in Christ Jesus by his atoning blood. And that's at the end of this passage. Look at chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Christians should sin less, but they're not sinless. He says, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for those of the whole world. Jesus is our advocate. He's our atonement. We talked last week a little bit about how, ironically, today in our culture, even right now, this very time, there's a controversy among more and more professing Christians denying the atonement of Jesus Christ. Now, that's crazy. Okay, That's like, a, like an automobile dealer wanting to deny transportation by vehicles. Okay, It's who you are. 
it's who you are. And so I gave you this handout. Uh, it's, uh, it's entitled Scandalized by the Substitute, a response to Young and Gungor. And so uh, William Young is the man who wrote this best-selling novel, which is now a movie, The Shack. And, uh, and then Gungor is the musician that we talked about last week. And I just want to read to you the first part of this article just because I think sometimes we don't realize what's going on out there. And the reality is this. More and more Christians like ourselves who say, well, I believe that Jesus died for our sins, are becoming more and more accepting of those that deny such things. Okay, and so sometimes it's good to read what they say themselves to just realize and in a sense receive the shock value that this is actually, you know, whether people realize it or not. This is what the book and the movie The Shack is about. Now, if you notice at our church, we don't talk about what you should go to, what you shouldn't go to. That's not the issue. The issue is being discerning and knowing what you are exposed to and being exposed to, and what you're encouraging others to be exposed to. So let me read this first paragraph of this article. The doctrine of atonement for sin, or uh, for atonement for sin is, or at least has been, at the center of the Christian faith and practice since Jesus' earthly ministry. But in recent days, various voices have raised objections to the cross. Musician Michael Gungor called the atonement quote, evil and, quote, horrific on Twitter, decrying a God who would mandate mandate blood sacrifice for sin. Well, without the shedding of blood, there can be no atonement. I, you know, I don't know what is going on there. And he goes on, he says, um, William Paul Young, author of the 20, 20 million, 20 million copies selling the shack, 20 million people exposed to a man who's propagating this kind of doctrine, concurs in his new Lies We Believe About God. So he's got these this book, Lies That We Believe About God. So now he's come out and told in a nonfiction way what he really believes. Because the, the argument was the shack's fiction. Don't worry about it. It's just a story. It's not important. Well, guess what? Theology is often best communicated through stories. Okay? And so the lies we believe about God, if you're a Bible believer, he's got like 15, 20 chapter headings. Basically, you want to reverse what he says, and that's what God says, okay? So it's lies we believe about God. So here's what he says Who uh, regarding Christ's death. Who originated the cross? If God did, then we worship a cosmic abuser who in divine wisdom created a means to torture human beings in the most painful and abhorrent manner. Frankly, it is often this very cruel and monstrous God that the atheist refuses to acknowledge or grant credibility in any sense. And rightly so. Better no God at all than this one. Better no God at all than this one. Well, guess what? If you reject that God... You have no God at all. And that's a distortion of what God the Father did regarding God the Son on the cross. And we see this right here in uh, the book of John. And so, let me, uh, we didn't look at this verse last week. Turn to 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10. Because what can happen 
as we talk about the atonement, it can mean, it, it can appear as though God is this angry God and this abuser of his son that forced his son to go die on the cross in a cruel and, and brutal way, which indeed it was, for the sins of people, just to satisfy this angry God. But that's not what the Bible says. Look at 1 John 4.10. In this is love. In this is love. If you want to know what love is, here it is. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God did this out of love for us and He didn't force His Son to do anything. Jesus, out of love for sinners and love for His Father, was more than willing to voluntarily offer Himself up for atonement. Now, those are kind of the two facts we really focused on last week. Now, if that's all we had, we're, God is holy and Christ died for sins of sinners. And if we accept them, then our sins are forgiven. It makes sense to not think about confession. But there's still verses in 1 John, there's still verses 6 through 10 that we want to look at. And here's fact number three that we looked at last week. Fact number three. Forgiven believers still sin and need to confess their sins to receive forgiveness. And so as we looked at this, we said there's really three lies that people believe regarding forgiven believers and confessing their sin. And so we looked at the first one last week, and it was this. Don't lie to others about the consequences of a sinful lifestyle in the life of a forgiven believer. We find that in verses 6 and 7. Look at what it says. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, okay, me and God are great, but I'm living this lifestyle of persistent sin, John says we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, if we pursue an intentional lifestyle of godliness, not perfect, not sinless, but intentionally moving towards God, if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. And so you have there in your notes, there's a false claim, and we looked at that. There's the counterclaim, and then there's the truth claim, that forgiven believers still need cleansing. Listen, we can't, just because we're forgiven, we can't persist in an ungodly lifestyle and then claim that... God's okay with that. And yet, you know what? Think about it right now. Just think about it. Don't call out anybody's name. But don't you know people? Don't you know people who name the name of Christ and yet have a persistent lifestyle? And I'm not talking about legalism things. I'm talking about just outright not walking in the light of God's holiness. Well, if that's a professing Christian, they still need cleansing. So here's the second lie. This is where we want to pick up today. Second lie is this. Not only don't lie to others, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself about the separation sin causes in the life of a forgiven believer. And we find this in verses 8 and 9. So let's look at verse 8 and 9. Follow along in your Bible. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. There's the idea of cleansing again from all unrighteousness. Now, this is interesting. What's the false claim? Look in your notes. The false claim, according to verse 8, is this. Because we're forgiven believers, dealing with any separation due to ongoing sin is no longer an issue. In other words, the idea is this. All right, you've pointed out my sinful lifestyle. But because I'm a Christian, my sin doesn't separate me from God. Haven't you read Romans 8, 1? There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Don't you know that my sins have been thrown into the ocean of God's forgetfulness and there's a no fishing sign on the shore? Don't you know that past, present, and future sins have all been forgiven? You see, I may be sinning, but there's no ongoing guilt or separation because of it. Now, in verses 8, in verse 8, everything's in present tense. So the idea is this. If we start to say we're no longer sinning, we don't, we don't presently sin in such a way that there is an ongoing state of separation. In other words, guilt. In fact, in some of your Bibles, this verse 8 is translated, uh, we have no sin is translated, we don't bear the guilt of sin. Or the NIV says to be without sin. Here's the idea. The idea is simply this, that as a forgiven believer... Okay, I'm forgiven in Christ, past, present, future. That when I sin, you know, I may be doing sinful things, but there's no guilt involved. There's no state of separation. How can I be separated from Christ when I'm in Christ? There's no state of guilt. There's no resulting consequences. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that's not biblical. Because that's just not true to experience, is it? I mean, when you sin as believer, and most of us are here are believers, when you sin, what happens? How do you feel when you sin? Eventually, maybe not immediately. Immediately, there's usually temporary pleasure. Oh, that was good. And about the time you think about how good it was, then how do you feel? Guilt. What else? Regret. Guilt, regret, what else? Do you feel like you can just rush into God's presence? No, what do you feel like doing in relation to God? Hide. Ashamed. You know, what's he going to think? Now, hopefully I'm not the only one that's going to confess to this, but haven't you intentionally even sinned? I mean, sinned? And certainly, I know, Jim, I know, I know. It's just me, it's just me. You sin, and then you're like, whoa, why did I just do that? There are consequences. Listen, there are consequences. So here, here's the idea. In fact, what was going on, apparently what was going on is they were saying there is no guilt. There is no ongoing results. And they were saying, and if you're going to say there are, you're just a legalist and I'm out of here. Look at 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us and they went out. 
so that it would be shown that they were not of us. Because here's the thing. If you're going to say as a believer, I can sin and there's no guilt and there's no separation of any kind, not not eternal separation, but no separation. And then you come in and say, no, there is guilt. There's going to be tension in that church. And the tendency is going to be, hey, if you say I need to deal with my sins, you're a legalist. I'm out of here. Well, here's the counterclaim. Here's the counterclaim of true believers. And it's found in the last part of verse 8. He says, no, if we say this, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in it. So here's the counterclaim. Whoever denies the guilt of ongoing sin is self-deceived and lying to themselves about truly possessing gospel truth in their heart. You're deceiving yourself and you're not And the truth is not in us. That's a bold claim. For a believer to be told the truth is not in you is a pretty bold claim. So this is a serious state of affairs. So that's the counterclaim. Now, um, I gave you a handout. Are Christians meant to feel guilty all the time? And so there's a lot lot of stuff we could do on guilt. Okay, and so this is a good article because there's false guilt, there's real guilt, there's guilt that comes from God that is positive and healthy, there's guilt that comes from the devil that is condemning and not healthy. So there's all sorts of issues when it comes to guilt. So we can't, you know, tackle all of that. But I know this from Psalm 32. Verses 1 and 2, when David confessed his sin, here's what David said. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose, whose sin in the Lord does not, the, whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, why was David able to say that? Well, here's what he did. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. That's guilt for a believer. Old Testament, but he's a believer. Your hand, boy, haven't you experienced that? The heaviness of God's hand? For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was zapped as in the heat of summer. Listen, as a believer... To sin and then hide that sin and not confess it will drain you emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, in every way. There's a lot of worn out, sick, physically sick people who if they would just come clean with God, would get better. Not all illness, but there is illness. Then he says, then he says, then I acknowledge my sin to you. I confessed it. I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, what does this, what does this teach us? What is, what is John and what is David teaching us? Don't dis- deny the practice of sin in your life. Basically, if you sin and then say, hey, there's no results of it, you're basically denying the practice of sin. I sin, but I don't really sin. And I'm I'm telling you, I think that's where many believers operate today. Because let's be honest. Now, this is getting really personal. Let's be honest. 
If we go days and weeks on end with never confessing our sin to the Father and thinking He's okay with that and we're okay with Him, we're operating this state of affairs. Right? We're operating. See, we may not ever, we would never be so bold as, you know, I hope no one in our church would say Christians should not uh, confess their sins. Okay, this whole lesson is meant to correct that, if that's what you're thinking. I hope you don't think that. But I, I think we have to all humble ourselves and be honest that a lot of times we operate this way. Because if we go days and weeks without going before the Father and asking forgiveness for the sins that we all commit on a daily basis, I think I could go on a good day one hour, Tyler. One hour. And that's if I'm in a room alone and sleeping. Okay? But I'm telling you what, I live with two other people. I work with people. I've got to do business with people. You know, just get me on a customer care line and I've, I've got tons to confess. Okay? So... If we're operating, we just can't deny sin's practice in our lives as forgiven believers. Don't persist in denying the practice of sin, that it results in a sense of guilt, that there is a separation of some kind between us and God, that just because you're fully and freely forgiven in Christ, you don't need to deal with this guilt. And John says very clearly that if you do that, you're self-deceived. Now you say, okay, well, you know, what's the big deal about being self-deceived? Well, when you trace that word deception in 1 John, it's associated with only one kind of people. They're called antichrists. They're called false teachers. They're called unbelievers. That's not a word you want the Apostle John to be using of you. Self-deception. That is what the, the... Listen, this teaching that there is no guilt, that is what false teachers want you to believe and to deceive you with a lie from the devil. Secondly, he says, the truth is not in you, or the, you do not, the truth is not in you. That's not good. Because here's what Jesus says in John 3.21 about the guy, the man or the woman who practices the truth. He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Here's the reality. If you're born again and you're practicing truth, when you sin, we run to the light and say, shine your light on my sin because I don't want to do it anymore. I regret doing it. I feel guilty having done it. Shine your light on it and forgive me and cleanse me. Strengthen me so I don't do that anymore. And I know I asked you forgiveness last week, but I'm asking you again. And I know I did it yesterday, but I'm asking you again because I want to keep coming to the light because your truth is in me. Here's the truth claim. The truth claim is that forgiven believers still need to be confessing their sins. They still need to be confessing their sins. I don't know how to say it any clearer, 
than this. Those who refuse to deny the practice, better to say practice of sin in their lives, will deal with their sin and guilt before God by agreeing with Him about their sins. So He will forgive them and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Wow. And the reason we can come to God is because He's faithful. And what's that mean? He's faithful to do what He's promised to do for believers. And what is that? To cleanse us from all sin. He's faithful. You say, but I've done it so many times. He's faithful. Yeah, but I just asked Him an hour ago. He's faithful. And not only that, but He's righteous or just. In other words, He will forgive us in a way that is in keeping with His righteousness. He'll do it through Christ, not through what you do. It's through what Christ has done. That's a beautiful thing. And you know what's interesting? We've already seen in verse 7 and verse 9 that as we go through this process, if we'll meet God's conditions and walk in the light, He'll cleanse us from all, all sin. And if we meet His conditions of confessing our sin, He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have some things that we have to do in that process. Are you with me? And this answers the age-old question, well, what if I forget to confess something? It's okay. He cleanses us. Confess what you know. And He takes care of the rest. Amen? Isn't that good? So, you don't have to get like real, you know, pedantic or anal or freaked out, you know, I mean, there was a young man in our youth department, Korean American youth department in Dallas, who was so obsessed with his sin that he, he, he started keeping a list of all his sins. We're just like, Eugene. <laughs> you know, and, then, and of course, he's like the most godly guy in the group. And we had to sit him down and say, look, this isn't, this isn't godliness. This isn't healthy. Why? Because you're cleansed. Confess it and move on. Get rid of the list. Amen? So don't don't mistake what's going on here and what we're being encouraged to do. Now, the third lie we're not to tell is this. And there's a progression here. Because as you lie to others, you begin to lie to yourself. And as you lie to yourself, you begin to lie about God. Don't lie about God as though he says forgiven believers have no sins to confess or have to deal with any ongoing separation. Basically, don't lie that God has said, look, don't get on me about this because God is the one who says my sins are gone and I don't have to confess. Well, if you're going to say God says something, you better be very sure of what you're doing. Look at 1 John 1.10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and now it's not only his truth that's not in us, what is not in us? His word is not in us. Now, if there's any doubt of what John is implying, now it's crystal clear. For a believer 
to make God a liar and to not have His Word in it means you're not a believer. Okay? Yeah, but He says we. Because He's making a point. We don't say things like this. And you say, but I know some believers that do. Sadly, you're right. I'm showing you, these articles are showing you, there are pastors, there are authors, there are musicians who claim to be a part of we who say these things. Now, does that mean we go on a boycott and we go on a writing campaign? No, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, wake up, church. Don't consume and don't advance and don't recommend that which makes God out to be a liar. Right? And here's what's happening today. You step up and say these things and you're going to get labeled hater. You're going to get labeled troublemaker. You're going to get labeled legalist. You're going to get labeled all these things. And yet John was the apostle of love. And he's writing these things. Well, let every man be proved a liar and let God be proved true. That's what I would say. So here's the false claim. Here's the false claim. Um because the false claim of some professing believers and false teachers is this because we are forgiven believers we no longer have to deal with any kind of separation due to sin since we don't really sin anymore that gets down to the crux of the issue the bottom line is if you're going to keep pushing me with this issue then i'm just going to say this there is no sin issue for believers There's just no sin issue for believers. I'll give you a little Greek grammar, not to freak you out or try to impress you, because there's nothing to be impressed about. But when he says in 1 John, if we say that we have not sinned, he moves from the present tense to the perfect tense. And what that means is, I'm saying that way in the past, I never did anything that was sin. And there are still no results that continue in the present. Act in the past, result in the present, ongoing. That's what the perfect tense means. In other words, no on sin. What I did back there, that wasn't sin. And there's no results. I'm sin. Basically, you can write under it, and, and and many there's many facets of Christianity that teach sinless perfection. Basically, this is a, a claim to sinlessness. And you say, how do Christians? Because there's different Christian denominations that teach sinless perfection. Now, how do you do that? Let's talk about it. How can we become sinless Christians, knowing that we still sin? That's right. Okay, that's one way. Well, when I'm, hey, you're angry. No, it's righteous anger. Okay? But that's the idea. You have to redefine everything. Suddenly, whatever I'm doing is not sin. 
It's a mistake. It's a fault. It's a human weakness. Are you with me? That's the claim. The counterclaim is this. No! Whoever says such things makes God out to be a liar and is not truly born again. The gospel truth is not in their hearts. Don't deny sin's presence in your life as a forgiven believer. Don't persist in denying it. Because if you do, you make God to be a liar and you show that you're not truly born again. But I am born again. Then stop making this claim. You see, do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. But I am born again. Okay, then stop saying that. And start confessing and dealing with your sin. So here's the truth claim that forgiven believers... Here's the truth claim. That forgiven believers still need to be forgiven of their sins. Because we still sin. Okay? And I like what John does. He comes down to verses 1 and 2 and he's saying, look, I know it's getting a little crazy in here. Maybe you're thinking that right now too. But here's the idea. I mean, after going through this lesson for two weeks, you might be saying, man, I think Pastor Chris is really wanting us to get out there and sin a little so that we can confess it. No, he's saying, look, this is what he says. He's saying, my little children. And you could also be thinking, I think Pastor Chris thinks, Half of us are not born again. And John's like, no, no, no. My little children. I believe that you are truly God's children. My little children. And it's John's way of saying, I'm not saying this because I don't believe in you and I don't love you. I'm saying this because I love you like a father. And I want you to grow in your spiritual life. And I want you to grow up to maturity. And he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Because here's the reality. When we live a life of neglect of personal sin, you know what that produces? More sin. But when you begin and when I begin, because pastors aren't immune When we begin to take our sin more seriously and start confessing and keeping short accounts, you know what you start doing? You're like, you know what? This isn't really fun. I want to do this less. And you're motivated to do what? To sin less. And that's what he says. He says, look, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But we don't believe in sinless perfection. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is our atoning sacrifice. So we can. So, yes, it's not fun to look at my sin. It's not fun to come into the light when I've just committed a dark act. But you know what good about it is? There's a father there to welcome me. And there's a a Savior and a sacrifice that stands beside me and say, Father, He's been coming a lot lately. But I died for it all. I covered it all. He is forgiven. Let Him receive that. Let Him enjoy that. Cleanse Him from all unrighteousness. Now, isn't that good? Isn't that good? 
Yeah, a couple of us think so. Look, he's saying these things not to excuse sin or to encourage it, but instead so that we deal with it. When we sin, forsake it rather than ignore it. When we sin, deal with it rather than deny that it happened. When we sin, deal with it rather than pretend that you and I are sinless. So, notice what it says in your notes. The book of 1 John answers a very vital question for every Christ follower. How can we experience the full joy of our salvation and the full fellowship of our holy heavenly Father if we still sin as forgiven believers? And the answer is, don't ignore it. Don't pretend it isn't happening. Don't deny it. Run to the Father, deal with it, seek His forgiveness, confess your sin, and He is faithful and just to forgive you. So, that brings us to the fourth fact. And this one will kind of bring the whole teaching of John and the teaching on confusion. This is where the confusion will be cleared up. Fact number four, there are two kinds of forgiveness in Christ. This is what people don't understand. There's two kinds of forgiveness in Christ. And the first kind is eternal forgiveness. Once and for all gift, based on justification, past, present, future future sins, all forgiven. Eternal forgiveness. enables us to enter into a permanent relationship. The second kind of forgiveness is parental. What I would call parental. And it enables us to enjoy fellowship. Big, both of these are big themes. Relationship and fellowship, big themes in the book of 1 John. So, eternal forgiveness is in order to enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father. And sin cannot break that. It's unconditional. Right? Free gift. Right? But, now, and and by the way, that, that relationship is you're born again as a child of God, and He's your Father. Jesus is your brother. Right? And we are His children. Now, once you enter into this family idea, it really makes sense because it's just like in your family. All right? I'm sure, having now raised up to 18 years old, I'm sure there was times my parents thought twice about adopting me and wondered if maybe, you know, they could go back and renege on that. But, once a regus, always a regus. And to my knowledge, they never said that to me. And I never felt that. I was theirs. But let me tell you, raising me, there was tension in fellowship. I've told this before, some of you are new. Our kitchen had two entrances. And there was a day my mom was chasing me around those entrances, and my brother was looking for some place to run and hide. 
Oh, was she mad and oh, was I not going to get caught? Then my mom got smart. She stopped by the phone and said, I'm calling your father. Then Chris quit running and started to get on his knees begging, literally begging. Do not make that call. Do not make that call. Now, were they going to talk about kicking me out of the family? No. But they were going to talk about some broken fellowship. They were going to talk about some confessing that Chris needed, some discipline that Chris needed, right? And that's the idea. Listen, when you eliminate this, this is when you say there's no sins to confess, you've just eliminated that. And you're banking on a relationship, but you're denying the relational realities that sin causes tension in relationships. Amen? And so once you bring back in paternal, then this starts making sense. So what would happen? I'm sure it happened in your home. This was a big thing in our home. I'd be sent to my room. There was a break in fellowship. We were in the same house. I didn't. I, I didn't have to sleep out in the barn, or you know. But there was a break in the fellowship until I came out. Many a time until I came out and said, "You're right. I was wrong. You're right. You know. I won't." I'm trying to think of some of my classic things. Um, you know, I won't do that anymore. And then, okay, you can come out of your room. You're forgiven. Fellowship restored. Fellowship restored. Were they going to keep me in that room forever? No, that wasn't the point. The point was there was a break in fellowship, and I needed to experience that so that I would humbly confess and restore that fellowship. It's like I've told you many times, uh, when Amber was young and we would spank her, you know, kids say the darnest things. I mean, out of the blue, she would say, you know, Dad, I, 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 I like spankings. You know, I thought I was going to have to pay for a psychologist or something. I'm like, you know, and I almost immediately try to convince her, no, you don't. No, you don't. And then again, just like parents do, I got wise and I said, why? Why do you like spankings? Because I love, I like the loving afterwards. Because in our home, spanking was not to be done in anger. And it was, it was to be done with self-control and wrapped up in love. Both while it was being done and after it had accomplished its purposes. And Amber got that. Now, I don't know if she'd say that today, but she said it. Believe me, when you're a parent and you hear something like that, you remember it. I like the loving afterwards. You know what? That's the idea. I don't like confessing sin, but I like it when God restores and cleanses. So, here's the idea. God the Father wants His children to be crystal clear about confessing their sins. So here's three things I want to leave you with. Our eternal salvation and total forgiveness does not mean we are sinless, but that we sin less and less. Secondly, our eternal salvation and total forgiveness is not secured by our ongoing confessions of sins. But what Jesus has done, is doing, and has yet to do in interceding for us. So we don't confess to maintain this. This is maintained by Christ. Okay? Third, though, 
Our eternal salvation and total forgiveness is the reason that we desire to sin less and less, and it's the reason we seek to quickly confess our sins and receive parental forgiveness and cleansing. It's because I have this that I want to do this. Okay? So, you know, the hard part of this lesson, you know, you may have said, well, the hard part's been sitting through it and trying to understand it. Okay. Hopefully I haven't complicated it too much. But the real hard part of this lesson is this. What's my confess- What's my spiritual discipline of receiving forgiveness looking like? Our church, we've talked a lot, we talk a lot about reading the Bible. We, we, we've given tools for praying. Sometimes we forget that confessing sins is a spiritual discipline. And I, I, I know I need to grow in this. I know this truth. But I need to grow in this. And I bet you might be in that same boat. So next week, we're going to look at some word pictures and some other ways of looking at receiving forgiveness and really talk about what's it mean to confess? What's it mean to agree with God about our sin? And, uh, and, and kind of get into the practical nature of this. And then once we do that, we can then move on to the rest of the aspect of forgiving. But I think we've undersold and undertaught and underpracticed this idea of confessing. And it's definitely under attack. And so this is what we want to focus on. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come, and I guess we should confess our sins. And perhaps we begin with confessing a lack of confessing. Lord, help us to be in such an intimate pursuit of you that we're very highly sensitive to our own sin. And we humbly confess that and receive the forgiveness that we need. I pray, Lord, if anybody's here with hidden sin, anybody with a pattern of sin, that instead of hiding, they would come to the light and let their sins be forgiven. And Lord, we want to be a fellowship. We want to be a class where we can be humble enough to say, hey, you know what? You can confess your sin because I'm a sinner too. But in Christ, those sins can be brought and cleansed and forgiven. Lord, help us to be set free. In Jesus' name, we pray that. Amen. Give it a try this week. Maybe more than you've done in the past. Give it a try.